Hi, I'm Beck. And I'm Paul. And this is DVD Clutter. Gosh. <laughs> Idiot. Hello, <laughs> welcome back to another episode of DVD Clutter. This is me trying to get my excited voice on. How's your excited voice going, Paul? It's good. I'm drinking. Oh, well, you'll need no help then. (laughs) (laughs) We've just finished another week of teaching from home. We've had an announcement that we're going back to school sometime soon. It's been a roller coaster, people, but here we are. It sure is. It was good to have this film, which is very understated, very sort of, I guess, not a roller coaster. If it's any sort of ride, it would be a scenic (laughs) railway. That is so true. It is a, it's like the flat line of emotions. That's it. We are talking about what was originally going to be your DVD. Mm-hmm. I did suggest this DVD and then Paul swooped in with his own copy. That's it. And not only do we have the same copy, which has happened before, but we have like the same edition, which I feel is kind of rare. Maybe. Maybe everyone has this edition. The film we're talking about, if you haven't already guessed from Paul's subtle hint at the start of the podcast, is Napoleon Dynamite. And you're so right, everyone would have the same edition because this movie was such a flash-in-the-pan moment that everyone <laughs> was right. yep. all in for a second bye, and caught bye, up on... Bye, 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 bye. And then just dropped off completely. Yeah. I always felt sorry for John Hader after... I know, right? ...this movie because I saw him in just like, so many bad movies afterwards. It would have been hard to shake. What's he What's he doing? I did um, Wikipedia him, but like, I'm trying to think. Yeah, I think he's doing all right. He's doing like bits and pieces. I think he had a lot of kind of not great movies after this one. And then from what I read, it said Blades of Glory was his, like, he came back with Blades of Glory. I saw Mm. Blades of Glory. I didn't think it was a A grade film. (laughs) I thought it was pretty fun. I had a good time with Blades of Glory. I haven't watched it, I'm going to say, since I was 17. So things might have changed. I don't remember being like, now that's a funny film. I mean, I'm sure it was fine, but it wasn't like, it wasn't Napoleon Dynamite to me. Yeah. And for some reason too, within my friendship group, that awful film, Benchwarmers, which is a really bad film. It's not good. And it never was. But we kind of all got into it while acknowledging that it wasn't very good. Is it not good because it's got like terrible themes and, and bad messages? Or is it just... Uh, just a really bad film a bit of everything it's um you know lowest common denominator sort of comedy right. stuff i mean farting is funny it it is it is but you know even it, even a farting joke i feel like takes some nuance that <laughs> maybe bench warmers never quite oh got oh god but... they weren't even up to a fart joke that's that's it but that's for some reason I, i've watched it a lot and it's weird, yeah. Enjoy is probably the wrong word, but didn't not enjoy. <laughs> ah, yes, it's so clear to me now. But luckily I didn't buy it on DVD, so we're fine. Oh, phew. I'm kind of intrigued now, though, to be honest. Mm. Well, you can watch that later. Oh, uh, maybe not. This isn't the Benchwarmers podcast. It's not. It's not. No. Let's refocus, people. We're looking at Napoleon Dynamite from the year 2000 and... Four. Four, yeah. And who knew, like, if you watch the film and you don't pay very specific attention to the title sequence in which they added in Napoleon's student card with the year on it, you would guess that it was not set in 
2004 or 2005, but you'd probably guess like 80s, 70s, something like that, some kind of mix of the two, 90s, I don't know. Well, I think that's actually one of the best things about the movie and maybe why it got such broad appeal was that it, like a few other titles we've talked about in this program, it really captures that timeless void. Mm -hmm. It doesn't feel modern, but it doesn't feel too old-fashioned either. No, that's right. It doesn't feel, for me, it doesn't feel like 2005, though, because I was in year 12 in 2005, and... (laughs) It wasn't like that? It's very a very different experience to my my year twelve experience my my high school experience at that time. Yeah, I think films had it a bit easier when this came out too because like I was thinking of the technology throughout it, and we're jumping way way into it, but I don't care. We are too. Let's go rogue. Yeah, but like you know, like he plays a VHS at one point, and mm. most of the times I've watched this film, it would have been on VHS. Like we were still in that transition no. period. Yeah. Yeah, we were definitely still in the transition period. I agree with that. I would have never watched this on VHS, though. I mean, yeah, well, I, did. We, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> I don't believe you, Paul. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I, I get. We are. We were still in the transition period, but we all had like Nokia's, and you know, like the world felt a lot more modern. And maybe that's an interesting point because just because I was there during that time period, it felt modern. But if we looked back on that time period now, I bet it wouldn't look modern. Yeah, I get you. Yeah, so that's that's my own perspective and bias, probably. By the way, we're a podcast called DVD Clutter. Every week, we watch a DVD from our collection. We decide whether to keep it, send it to the op shop, or... In this case... Smoosh it in a pocket full of tater tots. Yeah, or feed it to Tina the Llama. Oh, that's better. That's so much better than mine. <laughs> Yeah, essentially that's what we do. We thought we'd cleverly combine the art of the declutter, thanks, Marie Kondo, and the difficult task of getting rid of some beloved DVDs. And normally we start off with whoever's DVD is talking about how the movie came into came into their life. Mm-hmm. But it's both of our movie this week. So do you want to go first, Beck? Sure, I'll have a go. Um, I can't remember. <laughs> oh... That's all. Well, I would have watched it at college. So I would have watched it in 2007, I reckon. 2006 or 2007. I, I was at college in 2007. So I don't know if I saw it before that, but I, my enduring memory is of watching it at college. And to be perfectly honest with you, Paul, I may have stolen this DVD. From a, a retail store? No. <laughs> From someone at college. Yeah, fair enough. I don't remember buying it. And... I think a friend had it, and I think I just accidentally kept it. Yeah. So I'm really sorry to whoever that was that I took it from by accident. If you want it back, wait till the end of the podcast. That's it. You might get two copies. (laughs) That's right. Yeah, and I think I remember loving the movie. I remember, like we kind of talked about at the start... Oh, sorry, like we kind of talked about at the end of last week. It's one of those films kind of like Garden State where... I felt really artsy for liking it. It it was an odd film about odd people. I felt like I wasn't really part of the it crowd. Yeah, it felt cool to watch this film. It felt cool to like it because it was artsy and I was at film school and all of the above. I mean, I don't think people at film school probably, they would have been a bit like um, up their nose about this film because it was so popular. Yeah. But it felt like a different film not your average blockbuster and that was really appealing 
Yeah. Over to you. Totally. Look, I was very much swept up in the whole Napoleon Dynamite craze. Did you have a vote for Pedro t-shirt? No, but like, you know, why not? You know, like, basically. I'll, t- I'll tell the full story. Please. I remember my first interaction with this film was watching At the Movies with Margaret and David. Oh, <laughs> I thought you were saying you, w- you watched it at the movies with Margaret no, no. and David. Yeah. And I was like, whoa, you went to the movies with Margaret and David. That is amazing. No, classic Wednesday night on the ABC watching Margaret and David give their reviews. Mm-hmm. And I think I just have a really vivid memory of watching the review for this and thinking like, whoa, that looks kind of cool. And mm. I remember they showed the clip when uh, Pedro and uh, Napoleon take Pedro's bike off those jumps. Yeah. And just that one shot, there's this shot where um, Pedro goes over the jump and, like, it's really shit. But then it zooms in on Napoleon's face and he goes, yeah, I think you got, like, three feet of air there. Yeah. <laughs> and I just, it really stuck with me. I think they gave it three and three and a half stars. Yeah, fair. That's fair. Yeah, cool. And then you went to see it after that. No, um, I didn't see it at the movies. I kind of ah. thought, oh, that would be kind of cool to watch. It wasn't till like, the next year is when it really sort of kicked off being a cool movie, like Mm. people got into it. And I think it had to do with a few things. One of them was that broad appeal thing. Like as one of the actresses says in the special features, like this film doesn't have violence or cursing or sex at all. It is um, really quite tame, but is still cool. Yeah. Like when 2005, I would have been in year eight and um, I still had friends that weren't allowed to see M-rated films. Right, yeah. So oh, my this... God, you are such a baby. <laughs> this film and um, also Mr. Accident, which is a Yahoo serious movie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, were sort of high rotation from Blockbuster and Ballarat because they were PG and they were, they were sort of cool films that everyone could settle on. Yeah. But also, like, beyond my friendship group, it was one that everyone was into. Like, my older sister had the poster, yep. which I eventually inherited oh that's so nice and even my younger brother i was talking to him about this movie because we were going to do it on the podcast and he remembered he had a napoleon dynamite pen that when you clicked it it would say a napoleon dynamite quote oh my god like out loud or have a little out loud yeah oh that's cute and then it really sort of stuck with the zeitgeist i guess for about a year i remember in year nine you got to do choose your own topic for your oral presentation in english and me and Mm -hmm. a friend we did the top 10 films of all time, of all time, Beck. That is huge. Do you still have that list? Because I would love to see that list. I'll have to look if I've still got it. But right next to Star Wars and The Godfather was Napoleon <laughs> Dynamite. <laughs> oh, my God. I really want to see that list now. I'm so intrigued. And I remember even the year later in year 10 when I think we got a similar assignment and we didn't do the same thing, but we did talk about it and we were like, what the fuck? Like, <laughs> how did that get there? As in, how did Napoleon Dynamite get yeah. there? Yeah. Yeah. So, like, it was just such a flash in the pan, sort of like, this is amazing, to very much a, what happened? Why were we all sort of, like, entranced? Why were you so in, enamoured with that film? Yeah, and it, it wasn't just, like, this was a cultural phenomenon. Like, the merchandise that came out of this tiny little film was huge. Everyone sort of was, yeah, the Vote Pedro t-shirts. Gosh. And, you know, like... Yeah. Well, it's so quotable. That's it. It was literally... So it's like at Zoolander, you know, you, everyone would know some quote from from Napoleon Dynamite. I'm trying to remember the person's name who I wanted to talk about. It could have been the president of marketing from Fox Searchlight. Yeah. 
who was um, Nancy Utley. But I just remember when I was, you know, doing a bit of research and looking into a bit about Napoleon Dynamite, they very much tried to make that happen. They they went on this kind of marketing blitz in terms of trying to be like a, a word of mouth marketing blitz, though, not like a yeah a big kind of blockbuster billboards marketing kind of thing, but more like just really pushing the vote for Pedro things, the whole, I guess, atmosphere of the movie. But they went, they very much tried to make it, I think um, one of the quotes was they tried to make it a cult of the moment. Mm. Wait, let me get my notes up. And boy, oh boy, did they succeed. They totally succeeded. Oh yeah, yeah, they said they were were really trying to create a cult classic in real time, Mm. which you think, you know, it doesn't really work that way. A cult classic happens over time and over people kind of thinking, oh, actually, wasn't that film weird? And then it growing like this fan base afterwards, after the fact. But for this, it was very much that a real, a really conscious effort to try and make this into a cult classic. And, yeah, they absolutely succeeded in doing that. How weird is it to know that that was all planned, you know? It's so weird because it feels, <laughs> yeah, it feels so natural and word of mouth. And, yeah, did you hear about this weird film called Napoleon Dynamite? I heard about it. Yeah, because it really... But that was just... It became that film that was marketing, like... marketing, genius marketing. Yeah, cool to know about. It wasn't just like a, yeah, a, a popular movie. It was like a, oh, yeah, I'm kind of into Napoleon Dynamite, it's, you know... Is my favourite yeah, film. Yeah, you and fucking everybody else. Yeah. Wake up. <laughs> so funny. Oh, it, it... But so so clever. So clever. Yeah, and it would have done well for them. I saw that there was some sort of legal action between the makers and the people that ended up producing the film that I think had to deal with how much money they made off it and how little the... Yeah, so John Heater, I can't... I'm pronouncing his last name probably wrong, but he was only paid $1,000 to do that film. Fuck. And it... Yeah... <laughs> Initially, so it took some like real renegotiation and this what you were talking about as well in terms of the lawsuit or, you know, legal battles to try and reap the benefits of this, what made them like $44 million or something. Um, And that would have been, was that box office or? I think that's before television and merchandising. Because the merchandising was the thing. I even noticed in my research, I found that they made a Game Boy game out of this. Like... It's ridiculous. <laughs> no, there's no stone left unturned. No, like no apparently avenue. it was just like a thing that just spat out quotes basically when you pressed buttons, but it sold. It was a real thing. So crazy. Do you want to, I think we've, we've, we're so excited that we've just gone straight into talking about the background of the film and talking about the film itself, but some people may not have watched this film. No, they, they may not have. And, um, I will quickly run you through the plot in case you have missed it. All right, it'll take about a second. Which a lot of people would have, because if you weren't in that, if you weren't in that little jump of pop culture for that hot second, there's a chance you just wouldn't have ever bothered with this. Well, actually, I watched it on the weekend with some friends via, you know, social isolation, yeah, watch party style thing, and one of my friends refused to watch it at the time because she was so annoyed that everybody liked it so she just didn't watch it so you may be one of those people as well and that's why you've never watched it that's it so napoleon he is a teenager growing up in preston idaho that's it so they mentioned the state but i forget yeah in preston in idaho it's right on the border i think of idaho and utah cool i don't know geography uh specifically any geography (laughs) but I really don't know the states of America, so I hope they're t- vaguely together because otherwise I've just made a lie. Anyway, it's not it's not actually a vital part to the story. 
But um, <laughs> it kind of is. Like we, we talk about the, anyway. Living in a small town, he's going to high school. You find out that he's not—he's not the most popular kid at high school. He's a—he's a massive dweeb, and he's kind of weird. Mm-hmm. He lives with his older brother, who's finished high school and is really into technology. His older brother, quite a bit older, like thirty-two. Yeah, I think. called Kip, who spends a lot mm-hmm. of his time on chat rooms on the computer and with his grandma. Talking to babes. Talking to babes, um, and his grandma. He goes to school one day, and we see that you know he's not very popular. Um, but there's a new kid in town called Pedro who's just started at the school, and Napoleon, you'd like to say take under takes under his wing, but it's not sort of that. It's very a mutual sort of... Desperation. Yeah. They both need friends, and they both get a friend in each other. You find out that the dance is coming up, and Pedro, just because he's like that, he's going to ask out the most popular girl, Summer. Played by Hilary Duff's little sister. Yep, Hayley Duff, which he does, and she says no. Um, while this is happening, <laughs> Napoleon and Kip's grandma... Uh, injures herself in a sand dune accident. So mm. their uncle, Rico. Rico, comes over to look after them. Uncle Rico used to play football and thinks that in the 80s, if he'd just tried a little harder, he might have been a big football star. He's recently come out of a relationship and he spent a lot of time focusing on what could have been. Yeah, he's kind of stuck in 1982. <laughs> That's him. Back at school, there's a student named Deb who Napoleon sort of had a chance encounter with. She was trying to sell trinkets on his doorstep. She freaked out, ran away, and left all her stuff there. He talks to Pedro about her. He returns the stuff. And you can sort of see that there's some sort of chemistry building between the two. Uh, you also find out that Pedro has also asked Deb out to the dance that's coming up. And she said yes. And Napoleon mm, is clearly and clearly a bit jealous. He looks Not to, happy. Yeah, he looks to find himself a date. So he goes off on that quest. Meanwhile, Uncle Rico has brought Kip in to start selling Tupperware to the local residents with the plans of making enough money to buy a time machine to go back to the 80s. Uh, Kip wants to make the money so he can bring his long-term chatroom girlfriend, La Fonda, to Preston. So they're selling Tupperware. Napoleon asks out a girl from his class by drawing her a picture. Now, Napoleon's not a very good drawer, and at the same time that he goes to ask this girl out, Uncle Rico is actually over there selling Tupperware. And to help with a bit of a sub-story, he says that Napoleon is... Um, still wetting the bed. Still, yeah, still wetting the bed and, you know, uh, a bit of a sub-story. So this girl's mother, even though the drawing is truly horrendous of her... Well, I think you're being pretty cruel. <laughs> um, <laughs> I couldn't do that drawing. Forces her daughter to take Napoleon to the dance. So everyone's going to the dance... They go to the dance. Napoleon's quickly ditched by his date. Um, ends up having a dance with Deb. Finds out that Deb and Pedro are just friends. Rico gets his time machine and it doesn't work. And he's forced to realise that he's stuck in the present. Uh, Pedro decides to run for class president because why not? Napoleon decides mm-hmm. to help him out. Summer is also running. People quite mean to Summer. And, no, people quite mean to Napoleon and Pedro. Pedro also, for some reason, has to shave his head because he feels sick. So he has to get a wig. Mm, he feels hot and he feels like the, the heat is coming from his head. Yep. So he shaves his head. So things are looking pretty bad for Pedro's campaign until it's um, the presidential assembly. Summer gives her speech. Pedro gives his speech. And it turns out they have to do a skit. They're a bit worried, but luckily Napoleon has just recently picked up from the thrift store a VHS on how to dance. And... Also, La Fonda, who turns out is real, 
and who Kip did get to town, has given him a tape of fantastic dance music. Napoleon dances his little socks off. Everyone loves Mm. it so much that they vote for Pedro. Napoleon is seen as a bit of a hero. Oh, in the meantime, Uncle Rico's been a bit of a creep to Deb and blamed Napoleon. So Deb was angry at Napoleon, but Napoleon sorts that out by being a hero and they end up playing some tetherball. Finn. The end. Yeah. Correct. Finn. Finn. That's exactly right. I saw the same movie. Then there's a little after credits scene. Yes. I didn't watch that. I think I missed that. I only saw it at the special features. I always thought that was part of it because I only ever watched it on VHS and eventually on DVD. And it was always there after the credits. But turns out that wasn't part of the original release. No. It was made for the home video release. I only found that out in watching it because I did watch it on Stan and then watched the special features on the DVD later. Because the, in the special features, they were talking about how they got... It was like being back together yeah. after the film had... Yeah. That's it. And in this been released. little bonus scene, it's Kip and LaFonda's wedding. It, it's pretty great. I still sometimes sing that song while I'm around the house, the song that he sings to LaFonda. What is that? Can you sing it? I still love technology, but not as much as you, you see. <laughs> but I still love technology. <laughs> Now and forever. (laughs) So at his wedding day, he's singing about technology, not his bride. Lovely. Yeah. Then Napoleon turns up on a horse, capitalizing on, I guess, the randomness of the film. And um, everyone rides off in the sunset happy. And they lived happily ever after. Um, Yeah, that's the plot. That is the plot. Which you can tell, like, it's not... It's not much. And I don't know how... Did you watch many of the deleted scenes? No. There was a couple in there that sort of added a bit more to the plot right um which i will quickly talk through originally napoleon couldn't afford that sweet suit that he wears to prom so him and pedro had to go off and take a lot of random Mm. jobs what's weird in the the final cut of the film is you see napoleon doing a lot of these Mm. random jobs so there's no kind of reason including moving chickens or judging the quality of milk yeah that's so true those scenes were so random but it just the whole randomness of the film kind of just made it okay that they were just in there that's just it. Now, I'd love to have been in the editing room and just been like, you know what, I think we can yeah. just get away with just putting in them with, the, with yeah. no context. They're two great scenes. The milk one in particular, when Napoleon, yeah. <laughs> you know, judging this milk. He's trying to find the defects in the milk, right? And he's like, he has a little taste and he's like, the defect in this one is bleach. Yeah. And they're like, whoa, yeah, that's correct. Yeah. And he's got that characteristic monotone drawl. But also, it's a disgusting scene because you have to see him drink milk, and that's just so, (laughs) so wrong. It is. Oh, dear. So, I guess what I wanted to talk about with this, and we've already touched on it a bit because we were so excited, was just the appeal of it. And I talked a little bit about how it can appeal to everyone because it's so plain. Look, it's plain, but plain in a great way that there's so much you can build into it and everyone can sort of approach it. I did find it particularly weird originally watching it like being a semi-dweeby kid myself like i wasn't i was no napoleon (laughs) but you know very much um finding something in his character or maybe Mm. even kip's character a bit to connect with watching it this time though how good is uncle rico like uncle rico's a dirtbag but i just think he he captures he he plays on that idea that i think you know is sort of universal of the the what if and sort of demonstrates the danger of that yes totally by becoming all consumed by it and um i remember watching it as a kid not sort of getting that time machine scene because just thinking like why the fuck would you buy a time machine on the internet it's clearly oh, not yeah. gonna work yeah 
but sort of I think that really just does speak to his desperation you yes. know that things have things have spiraled out of control for him and now he's just stuck on this one idea that I will find my way back to 1982 yeah and everything's going to be okay yeah it's going to be fine we're just going to get back there no matter how ridiculous it is so he's played by John Grease who I think this is one of his kind of more well-known roles, but he's also has a recurring character on Lost, apparently, which I never watched. I watched, like, the first season. I got confused. <laughs> it's a dream, Paul. No, I don't know. That's just what I heard on some other TV show. Anyway, and he does an amazing job in that kind of sad, quiet desperation in every moment of his voice and his actions and his eyes. Yeah, every bit of his performance just is so in character. And you can probably, you can say that across the board in this film, mm. which is particularly interesting when you sort of look at the cast and sort of see, like, so many of them on their resumes, sort of just this yeah. film. Like, for example, Kip. Kip's a commercial cinematographer and director. Like, he's yeah, not... Yeah, he's played by this isn't really his um, Aaron Rule. Yeah, I think since this has gone on to do more cinematography and photography, so has fallen down that path instead of going down the acting path. But I, I just find like his performance too, like he just a hundred percent commits to this this character that is paradoxical in the way that he's so true to himself. Like you know, he's wearing the weird IT guy uniform of like shorts and pulled up socks. He's thirty two. Lives at home. <laughs> yeah, but also like has confidence and I guess a performance of a role that just works out well for him. Like, uh, uh, and it you know encapsulated in the story like of him ending up with Lafonda and being happy. But just even in the way like when he talks to Uncle Rico, who Rico obviously thinks like I'm awesome. This guy's you know a, dweeb, a loser. Yeah. But the way that Kip talks to him is very much like. I'm kind of like on top of things at the moment in my life, you know, I just really need some money. Yeah. And just just like the little lines like I'm kind of really TO'd about that. <laughs> like, you know, and just not But I think that kind of characterizes both Kip and Napoleon in terms of they have this what us outsiders would look in on and say is unwarranted confidence. Like they have this kind of <laughs> this kind of confidence and cockiness about them, both of them, despite the fact that Napoleon's, you know, routinely beaten up at school and has no friends, he has this real sense of, I don't know, ego or, like, sense of that he's he's kind of cool and he's got these skills and he's pretty good at drawing and, you know, I don't know, like, this, this real... And both... And Kip as well, even though Kip, you know, if you, objectively, you look at Kip's life, he's 32, he's living off his grandma, he's on the internet all day talking to babes, apparently. Yeah. Like, what kind... He doesn't work. He uses... His grandma has to pay for his internet usage. Like, what? This is this is a sign of a loser. And yet he's just got, like you're saying, this, like, yeah, my life's pretty good at the moment. You know, like, I've got my life together. <laughs> um, he, both of them, exactly that, that kind of confidence that that's is it. completely unwarranted in many respects. And maybe that's something that sort of draws another reason why this was able to draw so many people in because it's not like a shitty story about how the nerd learns to accept himself. The nerd in this already accepts yes, himself. Yes, totally. He, he already not only accepts himself, but he's pretty sure that he's better yes, than everyone. Totally. <laughs> and everyone else is wrong and yes, he's right. Exactly. Um, Idiot. Oh gosh. And, and even like in moments of panic, like when they're backstage and they have to figure out they have to do this skit. He manages to portray some sort of panic, but it's never like panic that you and I might think of as panic. Like, you know, oh, what are we going to do? What this are people going to think of me? Like, you know. Man, this sucks right yeah. now. 
Yeah. Oh, sweet. I got yeah, this. It's, like, it's more like, a, oh, God, now I have to deal with this. It's like now I have to come up with something that's going to save the day. Oh, And he's never in doubt. He's yeah. never doubting the fact that he will save the day. He's just like annoyed that he has to save the day. But then it's also just like so interesting to see how he interacts with Pedro, who is he's clearly like an avid buyer because Pedro even more so is just sort of confident to do his own thing mm-hmm. and take big risks, whether it be just go ask out the most popular girl <laughs> by getting her a cake or run for president or even, but just like even to shave his head. Just, I love that bit of like, I felt sick. I shaved my head. Oh, I regret this. <laughs> like, There's no just... overthinking. You and I are both overthinkers. So maybe we were just like, mm. what the fuck? How do people live like that? <laughs> yeah. Oh dear. There's an ultimate sense of freedom in all the characters in yes. this. That's just refreshing refreshing to even watch now i mean it like it's perfect the movie starts with napoleon getting onto this bus and he sits down to next to this other kid which also i I love that the bus is filled with real kids next to yeah it just (laughs) makes it great and this kid goes to napoleon hey what are you going to do today napoleon gosh whatever i want which he follows up with throwing out an action figure outside the window that's on a piece of fishing but it Again, it just speaks to these little nuances in the performance because he does this sort of big, stupid, confident act that's in defiance of something. I don't know what. But also, like, he keeps on, like, checking to see if the bus driver's looking at him. Like, it's confidence, but it's a performed confidence, you know? I feel like him and Kip are performing something, but they're very confident in their performance. (laughs) It's layers, layers and layers. That's it. It's a freaking onion, this thing. I know. Yeah, I mean, the cast is really, really fascinating. And, I mean, John Heater, I don't know how much you read about the background of how the film got made. So it's written by a couple. So it's Jared and Jerusha Hess, who wrote and directed the film. Jared, I think, directed it, and Jerusha, his wife, was was part of the writing team as well. But, like, a lot of the actors, and John Heater came from film school with Jared. So they were at film school together and they shot a short film called Palooka at film school where John Heater played this really dorky character who is essentially Napoleon Dynamite called Seth. And that was like a short film that they did together. And then that kind of got a bit of traction and some people convinced him to make it into a a longer film and now we have Napoleon Dynamite. So I think a lot of the people in the film are kind of friends or they were kind of people cobbled together to be in this really low budget production that Jared and Jerusha wanted to do, including the fact that they got on Hader back to play this character. And they are all Mormons. Wow, really? I mean, when I say all, that's a blanket statement and I cannot back that up with actual research or facts. But many of them are Mormons or part of the Church of the Latter-day Saints. I don't know. Fair enough. Yeah. yeah. So John Hader is Aaron Rule, who plays Kip, is and the writer-director couple, Jerusha and um, Jared Hess, are both Church of the Latter-day Saints. And I think a few of the other characters, a few of the other actors are as well, as well as the cast and crew who were part of it. So I think it's kind of a, a, oh, you know, you want to go help out this or let's chip in with that. I mean, it was a very, very low budget film. It was all filmed in their hometown as well. Yeah. That's kind of why I was saying I think the 
it is kind of important to get the location right because the setting of the film it plays a huge part in the aesthetic and the style of the film in terms of that kind yeah. of remote rural feel, that back of beyond kind of feel, which I think Jared and Jerusha Hess wanted to recapture. And they filmed it at his at Jared's high school. You know, there's like the whole town has become a part of this film. His hometown has become a part of this film. And I think it's pretty close to their hearts for that. And the character of Deb is based essentially on Jerusha as well, including certain lines, things that happen in the film actually happened to her. <laughs> when she was a kid. So it's a very close to home film for these two. And I find it so interesting, this whole, the Church of the Latter-day Saints connection, I find interesting anyway, because then I went down another rabbit hole and found out that there's all of these, (laughs) there's all these films made with Church of the Latter-day Saints themes that are kind of made specifically. It's like an, it's like another, it's a Mormon exploitation, Paul. (laughs) They they even call it Mollywood because it's Mormon Hollywood. Have you heard of that? So, and Napoleon Dynamite counts in Well, that. I mean, not the themes, but the fact that it's made by members of the Church of the Latter-day Saints and includes, like, actors and car- uh, crew members and stuff. Yeah, I'd never heard of that. Yeah, it's a whole rabbit hole. I even found, I kid you not, mm. a adaptation of my heart's favourite, Pride and Prejudice, that is a Church of the Latter-day Saints targeted film. Version. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. You have to buy that one on DVD. <laughs> Look forward to doing that. I know. But I think it's about living in that particular area because that's where a lot of the, I guess, the congregation or the people who are part of the Church of the Latter-day Saints, there's a big population in that area. So I think that's kind of part of that rural feel. Yeah. And I mean, it, it could speak to the popularity of the film, but also could speak to, I guess, what I attributed to some of the popularity of the film being that sort of, that this film is... What's the right term? It's not racy at all. You know, there's there's no swearing, there's no violence, there's oh, no Oh, yes, sex totally. At all. Racy, yes. Yeah. Yes, That's it's it. very like, you know, PC. It's very like Yeah. It's innocent. It's very innocent. Like the, the characters don't even say hell, they say heck. That's right. That's right. Even the more, I guess, n- normal in air quotes characters. Yes, correct. So yeah. to speak like that. Yeah. But could speak to the area as well, you know? Well, yeah, I think it's a combination of things. Yeah, I find it really interesting that it would have just been, you know, a couple of friends starting this film, trying to get it financed, didn't get that much money for it and decided they just need to make it on this tiny budget and and used what they could. Yeah, and then a little boy in Ballarat bought a pen based on that film. That's right. Who would have thought? Mm. I actually watched Palooka, the original short film that they made. Oh, yeah. Actually, I watched about halfway through, and it's almost shot for shot. The opening sequence is him getting on the bus. What are you going to do today, Seth? Whatever I want to do. Gosh. And then him throwing the little toy out the window. So there's so many elements of this that are literally just shot for shot remake. But I love with Palooka, they decided to make it black and white because they were at film school. (laughs) Yeah, obviously. (laughs) I don't know. Maybe they liked the aesthetic. No, that's 100% why they did it. What else you got on your notes there? Got a few things to talk about. I guess talking about the popularity kind of leads nicely Mm -hmm. into this thing that I came across when I was looking, when I was doing some research about it. It's kind of coined the term the Napoleon Dynamite problem. And it has to do with the fact that this film, along with a few others, are just impossible to predict if people will like them or not 
So yeah. it kind of came about because they were trying to fix up or they're trying to really fine tune Netflix's recommendation algorithm. So they're trying to say, oh, okay, if you like this film, we can pretty much guarantee that you're going to like this film too because of X, Y, Z. And the success rate on Napoleon Dynamite was just like so far below other films. <laughs> so the movie has been rated more than 2 million times in the Netflix database. And the ratings are really disproportionately either one star or five stars. So yeah. it's like that middle ground is like not, there's not many people in the middle ground. You're like a yes, Napoleon, vote for Pedro, I'm all in. Or a what the fuck is this dumb movie, you guys are idiots. So yeah, yeah. I just thought that was so interesting. And there's a, there's a whole list of other films that kind of fit into the, the same category of like, we don't know how to classify these films and we don't know how to predict whether people are going to like them. And can, and can you see links between the movies at all? Or is it a bit, so, a oh, bit of a smorgasbord? I think it, it, some you can definitely see links for. So one of them is the Royal Tenenbaums, yeah. which is a Wes Anderson film. And this film has been compared to Wes Anderson's kind of aesthetic as well with those very balanced shots. and Yeah, especially that opening credit scene, yes. I feel. Yes, definitely. Oh, we should uh, talk about the opening credit scene as well because that's a bit interesting. Yeah. But some of them, like, Miss Congeniality is on there. Yeah, that's weird. I feel like that's not too different to a lot of things. I think that's just like a... That's just a normal Sandy Rom-com chick flick, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, the Day After Tomorrow is on there. <laughs> Kill Bill yeah. Volume 1 is also on there. Wow. Like, Dirty Dancing, How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. Like, I don't know. I would find it hard to find... A common theme in all of these movies. Yeah. Day After Tomorrow, surely it would just... Why is that different to any other... Maybe because of the environmental themes. So some people are like... Yeah, you're right, actually. Um, but um, no, that is, that is a, a much a broader list than I assumed was going to be on there. Yeah, you'd think it would be more like the Royal Tenenbaums and... The Eternal Sunshine mm. of the Spotless Mind is on there, which I kind of understand that one, I guess. Yeah. Lost in Translation is on there. But then Pearl Harbor's on there. Like, <laughs> what? It's so different. It's so different. Yeah, but I found that I like that they've kind of named that after Napoleon Dynamite. And it is, it's one of those kind of, I guess it makes it really hard for marketers and for producers who want to make money off films like this. Because they wanted to make a sequel to this film, yeah. which they thankfully didn't get around to. And I think that was the right decision. I think the Hesses, they kind of didn't really want to because they were a bit scared that it would just be taking it a bit too far. Yeah. And I totally think that that was the right call because I agree. It would never be the same and you can't recapture that. And I think that's why producers find it so hard to understand these films because I don't think you can recapture these these films I think it's one of those things that just something happens it's like a luck of Mm. the actors being who they were the time period being what it was just all these things coming together at the right time and it happening happening to work rather than being by design yeah and um look they did Go and make a uh, animated TV series. Yes, based on I this. watched a little bit of that as well. That lasted for one series. I never watched any of it. The more I've read about it, though, the more I feel like I could probably get into it. But I think, especially around that era with animation, people were expecting something very particular, especially in that sort of Fox block. And it was, it needs to be mm, Family Guy, mm-hmm. you know, to an extent. Um, yeah. And this definitely isn't. It was. They made it with Mike Scully though of Simpsons fame so yeah. yeah they had like i guess they had the best people on it but not to be yeah i wonder if that came sort of 
because it was put on Fox and that was, you know, they needed quite a broad appeal for it. I wonder if that would have more success now that we've got more options for our viewing. So yeah, let's talk about that opening credit scene. Yes, let's do it. So the opening scene is uh, different plates of food and Napoleon's um, school card as well is in there, but is there anything else? And a chapstick. And a chapstick. So different kind of various items that feature throughout the movie with the names of people. And with, I can tell we're going to be friends by the white stripes flying over the top. I can tell that we are going to be friends. That's it. And it is a very visually striking way, I guess, to get you into the movie. Mm -hmm. One of the best bits, or one of the most memorable bits of the film, even though so much of this film is memorable. Yes. It was filmed after they had filmed the film um, to try and, you know, locate it, I guess, a bit in time and space and find that way in to orientate the audience into the aesthetic of this film and get you ready to, like, soak that up. And they filmed it, I don't know if you know about this, but here's some trivia for you. They Mm -hmm. filmed it originally with John Heater, his hands taking the plates in and out. Okay. And I think maybe the producer as well doing some. And then they showed it to an executive at Fox Searchlight. And she was like, that guy's got hangnails. We have to reshoot that. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to send you a hand model. So they said they literally flew down a hand model and they shot it again. Well, so now I think now I think there's a mixture of like John Heater's John Heater's um, hands, this hand model's hands, and the producer's hands going in and out. So if you want to rewind and pause at certain points, and that song, the White Stripes song, really got a boost. I feel from this film, as did Jamaica's. Canned heat. Is that the one he dances to at the end? Yeah. Yeah. And they weren't sure. They, that was interesting, actually. The dance scene is really interesting as well because they weren't sure that um, they were going to get the rights to Jamiroquai. They thought it might be a bit expensive, but they, in the end, they were able to afford it. But they filmed it to a couple of different songs. Yeah. Well, actually, I don't know 100% how this works. They either filmed it to a couple of different songs or they edited it to a couple of different songs and made sure the timing worked okay. Because the other yeah. thing about the dance scene is that they only had like 10 minutes of film left for that moment. Oh, wow. Yeah. So they had, they're shooting on film, obviously. It's pretty expensive. They don't have a lot of money. And I think the dance scene, which is, I think, the best scene in the film, and the it does <laughs> it does really pull everything together. It's like this culminating sure moment where he becomes the hero that you always want him to be throughout the film, even though he's pretty annoying. But, you know, you know, it's building up to him getting his day in the sunshine, his 15 minutes of fame, and he does his dance. But, yeah, there's, mix, there's a few mixed things about how it came about, and I think, I guess we probably will never know what the actual truth is, but there is some of the things I read said that it came about because Jared Hess knew that John Heater can dance and that he likes okay. to dance. And so they were kind of, I think, finding a way, trying to find a way of tying up this film. And they were like, well, why don't you dance? And he was like, yeah, yeah. Yeah." And so he said, yeah, obviously he'd do it. And then they just got him to make something up. But um, he had some help from the actress who plays La Fonda as well. I think she was um, helping out with the dance moves. And yeah, he came up with this dance that he did at the end. And they only had 10 minutes of film left. So they were like... This is it. And yeah, he had to go and dance his little ass off. And it's great. That scene is so great. He's. It is so good. He's a good dancer. Like, he really can dance. Yeah, that's another one of those things that really 
demonstrate like everyone was doing bits of the Napoleon Dynamite dance or the happy hands sign language dance movements Mm -hmm. for a good year and a half. Yeah. And that disappeared. Yeah. (laughs) Correct. There was two things that I wasn't particularly happy about in terms of the way women were treated in the film. The bit where they're at the dance and Napoleon gets dumped by his girlfriend and then Pedro is there with Deb and Napoleon's like looking real sad and Pedro says, oh, I'll let you dance with Deb. I was like, yeah, no, come on. She's not a fucking, you know, football you can just pass around. So that annoyed me, obviously. And then the other thing was the piñata where Pedro (laughs) Pedro gets this. He gets a piñata of Summer, his opposition in the challenge to be the class president or the school captain or whatever it is. And so there's this bunch of kids just beating the crap out of a piñata that looks like this high school student, which is like, oh. It's it's full on, but I think it, it speaks to sort of the problem that Pedro and Napoleon had with that whole idea of president they didn't like when they first talk about it napoleon's talking about like i could be a secret service and (laughs) then it sort of speaks to pedro thinking okay this is like when i've seen presidential elections in mexico this is what happens he pedro has no idea what class president means and you know you see it again in the speeches too where summer's like i'll get new soda pop machines for the canteen where pedro thinks it's like he's he's seeing it as a a country's presidential race because that's the only experience he's had. Because he's had no experience with this whole idea of class president. He just knows president's a good thing. Yeah. And I think it just speaks to that. That's how I felt about it in this scene. Yeah. And it is, it's full on, but I feel like that full on nature is... That's that's sort of the joke. It's, it's meant sort of to be like, shocking. Com- yeah, totally. This is completely wrong. What are you doing, you idiot? Yes, yes. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. I get that. It still was a bit like... Ugh. Yeah. He also drops the retarded word a few yes. times which is yeah. just really fucking annoying um but i guess i don't know time and place uh, yeah i think that's all i had to say about that fair enough i don't think they're, they're important points to raise so this film your dvd collection what's the situation um uh, i think i am going to probably get rid of it because get rid of it yeah into Oh, the it, llama's to, mouth? <laughs> to the op shop, I think. I won't feed yeah. it to Tina the llama just yet. I don't think, like, even at the time, I don't think I loved it enough to keep it for even nostalgia reasons. I am totally the same. Like, as a high school kid, I had film posters all over my walls, which included Napoleon Dynamite, just because I was covering every inch. <laughs> but even having it, having, having that poster up, I still don't think I've thought of this film since 2007, you yeah. know? Yeah, um, I was literally surprised to see it in my DVD collection. Same here. And I don't actually yeah. have a... I remember watching it, but I really remember getting the video from Blockbuster more than anything. So I don't know if I if I ended up buying it sort of at the end of that run or if I... I'm not sure either, to be honest. Yeah. And it's not one... Sometimes I feel like with some of the movies that were important to me growing up too, I'm like, oh, I want to have that a copy so I can sort of share that with mm. like my family in the future, I guess. But... With this one, I just don't think I'd bother, mm, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like, people will forget about this, I feel. Yeah. Or people will remember it and be like, oh, yeah. That was a thing. Mm. I wonder if that stacks up. But I don't care enough to rewatch it. I mean, and it does It does hold up. Like, it's... Oh, yeah. It was interesting. It, it made it, me laugh. You know, it was engaging. The dance sequence is great. There's a lot worse things you can do with your time. But if I'm trying to 
go from hundreds down to only <laughs> yeah. a handful, this ain't making that um, short list. Fair enough. Fair enough. So that means we've got two to give away if people would like yeah. a copy. Um, or return maybe in your case. Yeah. I can't remember who I stole it from. If it was you and you're listening, first of all, thanks for listening. That's that's great. You know, if you're a friend of it's mine from news. college and you're listening, wow. Yeah. That's all I can say. That sounds like <laughs> I had no friends at college or I'm not in touch with any of them. It's kind of a bit of both, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. Let us know. There's two up for grabs and we'll post them out. Or now that we can actually see each other, maybe we can give it to you in person. Yeah, that's it. (laughs) Yeah, you've been listening to DVD Clutter. And we still haven't thought of a way to end this thing. Oh, God. In a non-awkward matter. You have been listening to DVD Clutter. Thanks for listening. Follow us on all the usual channels at DVD Clutter, D-V-D-E-C-L-U-T-T-E-R, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. And before we go, though, we do have one more announcement to make. <gasps> do we? Because I don't even know yeah. what this announcement is. I'm pretty excited. I know. Well, I, we had a message on Instagram. We did. Oh, I had a message on Instagram asking for a particular flavor of film. Oh, um, you had a was, message from a, someone yeah. who listens. Yes. Oh. Uh, I think she listens occasionally. Oh, uh, is this Laura? Is this going to be an Arnie film? <laughs> oh, no. Well, I I, I, <laughs> no. I couldn't find any Arnie. But I had been craving a bit of action cinema, so I thought you actually might like this one. Here it comes. Three letters, <gasps> XXX. Yes. Oh, my God. I'm so excited. Vin Diesel, my secret crush. Yeah. Not so secret anymore. Well, that's anymore. just it. You know, like, I feel like uh, I couldn't find... I think I've got some Arnie in there somewhere, but I couldn't find it. And this was near the top, and it's got everything you want. Just Cars, guns. <laughs> Naked boys. Naked boys. Yeah. And it's from the director of Fast and Furious, so we're, we're really burning through his filmography which is great well that's my aim in life to get through his filmography for context my partner laura decided that she would message paul out of the blue and ask for an arnie film i don't know where she she had some reason for it i don't know did she tell you her reasoning uh she might have i can't remember yeah i can't remember either but anyway i didn't want an arnie film but now we've got a vin diesel film and that's great that's it so watch along it is on i can't remember if it was stan or netflix but it's on one of the two all right yeah. Well, I might go watch it now because it's Friday night and yeah, I don't have to do anything tomorrow. Gosh. Kick back, relax. Good to uh, be in your ears, folks. Yeah. <laughs> Is that how we're ending now? Great. That's it. Kind of weird. <laughs> Bye. Thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll see you next week. Bye. Oh, incidentally, we should talk about the name, the IT crowd. We should mm. probably not the time it will place, but it's just come to me. But I think if they, if it actually is called the the it crowd, that's the point that they're making, right? It's like the cool yeah. crowd, the it crowd. That's that's one hundred percent the point. Yeah. Anyway, that was a bit random. We can cut you can cut that out if you want. <laughs> It just played on my mind the other day. I was like, I knew at the time. I knew, obviously, guys. Come on, let's give my intelligence some credit. But um, I think we forgot to talk about the fact that, because we were like, oh, no one calls it the it crowd. Why would it be called the it crowd? It's clearly the IT crowd. But I thought we should acknowledge that they could be making a joke about the it, in quotation marks, crowd. I'm glad you brought that up. (laughs) 
people, people, the masses have been finally, enraged. finally. And we should actually put it in the yeah. blurb so that those people who have stopped listening because we didn't talk about it earlier, yeah, they know that we finally come back to it. Um, I will. I'll put it in the blurb. <laughs> um.